podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A bit warm there, Ben. I've just had a shower, to be fair. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's All Over podcast, the only rugby podcast that gives you all the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are at More Over Podcast, we are More Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook and you can find us on all good podcatchers. Uh, I'm joined this evening by uh, the farm vet, the eye candy, the lady's choice, the housewife's favourite. How you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Ross. And for a very, very brief appearance live from... Barbados. It's uh, and and this is only for Matt, who is Ben's biggest fan, only. and uh, he and only Matt, and uh, and he was disappointed that you weren't going to be appearing on tonight's podcast, Ben. So uh, here you are. Hi, Matt. There you go, Matt. That was just for you. You you've been watching some games with French commentary. How's that been? Yeah. So. So I muted every single word that I could think of that had anything to do with rugby on Twitter and then um, stayed out all day. And I managed to find a, a full recording of the match on YouTube, but it had French commentary, which Lovely. was surprisingly easy to follow. <laughs> Ooh la la. Yeah. But every, just... every other time that Underhill's hit someone, you heard this sort of muffled Ooh la la in the background. <laughs> and I think it was... Um, remember Yashvili the scrum half yeah it was him so I think he was just like relieved he wasn't playing basically oh fantastic yeah he wasn't he wasn't renowned for uh for his contact game was he no (laughs) little Dimitri (laughs) love love to kick it goal though um yeah Ben listen we'll let you crack on enjoy your holiday live from Barbados and uh we'll see you in a few weeks yeah go well boys go well mate so farm vet how are you? You've been skiing for a week. Yeah, yeah. And um, obviously your catchphrase is catching on, Ross. Um, ended up in a random chat with a British skier midway down the slope whilst waiting for the kids. And he went, right, I'm off. Go well. And I went, you're not allowed to say that. That's that's Russ's thing. <laughs> Russ stole it from all cricket correspondents in Sky ever. Um, but yeah, I love it. Did he, did he obviously didn't listen to the podcast? No, no, no. I was disappointing. Yeah. Where did you go? Uh, Andorra. Which, Andorra. Which I forgot was uh, some kind of tax haven. Um, literally every other shop is hawking whiskey and jewellery and perfume and massive great knives and bongs and all kinds <laughs> of shit that you'd never see on a high street in this country. Nice. So uh, if you need any of those items, get yourself to uh, Andorra. Indeed. Customs uh, are, are pretty lax as well. Well, let anybody in nowadays, don't they? Yeah. Uh, as far as rugby goes, how was your uh, weekend's worth of rugby watching? Well, so I watched the uh, I watched the England game, um, which I found thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, sat next to my Irish mother-in-law. Um uh, and I, uh, in no way, shape or form, whilst working from home in the office today, managed to watch the Wales-France game. Lovely stuff. There's nothing wrong with that, mate. <laughs> working from home is is a privilege. And if you've got, you know, I, I've, I've watched 
test matches and stuff on in the background. All, all yeah. five days, yeah. All, for all five days, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you still get stuff done if it's just on in the background. Um, so I must add that the Lensman will be joining us in a minute, hopefully. He's um, otherwise engaged currently, but uh, he was at five or he's watched five rugby matches this weekend. I believe he was, he was at England uh england under 20s or whatever it is on friday night uh at franklin's gardens i think they got a bit of a pump in by ireland um saturday he was at bath which should be interesting because bath now find themselves fourth in the premiership and yesterday he was at bristol so he's seen games that probably none of nobody anybody else has, has seen as well as england and uh england ireland and, and france wales hopefully but we'll Start by chatting a bit of France Wales, shall we? Um, yeah. France put to bed a uh, a bit of a ten year hoodoo by winning in Cardiff. Um, Wales gave England or oh, Wales. Let's let's talk about the fans. The fans gave England a lot of stick for losing in Paris on the opening weekend of the, of the competition. Only for Wales to lose at home to France. Is this? more about Wales in transition or France really coming of age, do you think? Well, I think... So France have always had a good 30 to 40 minutes in them. I think the difference is they've now got a good 60 minutes in them. Um, And you've always been able to win games with a good 60 minutes. You don't need to put in an 80-minute performance. You can have a quieter time during it. Wales, just... they. They looked like they couldn't get their game plan going. And I put that as much down to, to France as I do down to Wales. There's always been a bit of that with Wales where if you get at them and you get under them and you, you put them under a lot of pressure with the ball, um, if you can get the, the 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 aerial game sorted as well, where they just seem to, to kind of fall apart a little bit. Um, and we've seen it multiple times with France-Wales, actually, where... As I say, France will, they'll make Wales completely fall apart for 40 minutes. And then somebody, possibly Mr. Edwards, would chew them to bits at half time and a different Wales would come out and France would be sat there in their changing rooms, fairly chilled out and relaxed, drinking a glass of red wine and come out at half time like the game's already won and throw it away. So I think it's a bit of both, in all honesty. It's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, in in times gone past and in in more recent memory, Wales have been renowned for that team that's kept it tight, that's had the big ball carriers, that's that's been less flamboyant, should we say? Like so, your Doc Roberts and your your hard ball carriers in the back row, um, uh, your Falatows and your Moriartis of this world. But in this game, it seemed like the the roles were reversed. Wales, or Wales throughout the tournament so far, have tried to be a little bit more expansive, a lot more offloading out of tackles, a lot more, um, well, expansive. I guess is probably the best way to put it. Whereas France were very much you. They use Aldrich. They've got um, oh, Will Hempser. Although it made me laugh, Eddie Butler calling Will Hempser. The, the South, South African the second South row, yeah. yeah. Whilst whilst then referring to Hadley Parks as the Welsh centre, uh, he did call and, him the New Zealander once, but yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the I think the point is as much that so Pivak's obviously come in and wants them to play slightly more expansive. 
but a lot of the times when Wales were trying to be expansive, it's because they were living off scraps because the French defence was very aggressive, very up in their face. Um, and certainly on the ground, Wales were getting nothing in terms of quick ball because the French were just, they were committing to every ruck with two or three men and committing hard. And, and one, God knows how many turnovers or, or slow balls in the first half from just getting two or three back row players hitting that ruck at back row, second row, hitting that ruck at speed, clearing out and, and just being nuisances. Um, and actually, I I was I was watched it and I, I was thinking, I don't think I've ever seen a French scrum half before play such an aggressive defensive line as what Dupont was doing. I Dupont think was, I think he's brilliant, mate. I've said it I've said it before and I'll probably say it a lot more. You know, when he came on against England off the bench uh, in last season's tournament, when we were absolutely pumping them, he he changed the game. And ever since, he has been fantastic for France. And the longer him and Namtoak spend together in that 9-10, the more successful France are going to be. And and I'm sure he's... So um, Jonathan Davis said it towards the end of the commentary. And Tamak just looks like he has so much time. He he picks when he wants the ball. He's like, forward, you can have it, you can have it. Oh, yeah, I'll have it now. And when he gets it, even you know, he just he just looks chilled out and relaxed. Because it's, it's great game management. And he's taking yeah. the ball when he wants the ball on his terms. Him and Dupont are obviously got a, a great connection. So he's taking the ball on his terms. He's not being shipped shit all the time. They're providing a great platform for the likes of Aldri and Oliver. I mean, this French back row, back row of, um, is it Croix, Lacroix? Um, yeah. Aldri and Olivon are superb. And yeah. they are providing that ball carry and then putting uh, Will Hempser and, and, oh God, the other second row's name escapes me, but um, Bernard Leroux. LaRue, yeah. Yeah, LaRue. I mean, LaRue's tackling was just unbelievable. Yeah. He, he could just tackle all day long and not just tackles, not just dropping people, but hitting them back every time. Um, but yeah, and I suppose if you if you talk about world best scrum halves over the last few years and you throw in Aaron Smith and, and you say you've got um, Conor Murray when he was playing at his best, they all have a bit of a defensive game, but their defensive game is covering behind the line for those half breaks and making those those scrambled defence. Dupont, he's he's like having another flanker in the defensive line. He's so quick up out of the out of the line and making big hits. I just hope nobody turns around and goes, "You shouldn't do that. You're a scrum half." That's that's the fear because you you want him to just keep doing that because yeah. that's that was what was putting the Welsh under pressure. And you could see like Biggers a flapper at the best of times, but he was, yeah, he was, he was flapping like a, like an albatross trying to take off. It was, it was clearly in his head. I've got a lot, I've got a lot of time for Dan Bigger. Oh yeah. Um, He's a, he's a fantastic player, but what is it with the moment about, we've we've all kind of got one, haven't we, at the moment is Sexton, Bigger and Farrell all together you know, these three are likely going to be the the tens going to South Africa next year. You'd imagine, yeah, um, yeah, maybe not a Sexton if things keep going the way they're going. But um, you know, they're all 
quite whingy, aren't they? When you look at yeah. the the fantastic tens of years gone by, your Carters, your Wilkinsons, they, you only, they never you only ever, ever heard, batted an eyelid. I only ever heard what Wilkinson sounded like when he started doing um, started doing TV work when he'd retired. You didn't know what his voice was because you, you never heard it. He wasn't the one going in the post match interviews. You certainly never heard him from the from the side of the ref, but. Yeah, they are all just whingy and whiny, but the rest keep putting up with it. And until they do something about it, it's it's not going to change. But yeah, Bigger and Sexton uh, are as, as bad as anybody out there. But yeah, there is far too much chat that goes on during the match to the refs. Um, did you see there was a moment where Bigger took a mark um, one of the French players, I think it was Vincent, the centre, um, just pulled pulled out of the tackle, turned round, started walking with his back Big, to Bigger. Bigger just booted Oh, no, he, st- he started walking with his front to Bigger and then turned around and started walking with his back to him. And Bigger just booted the ball at him and wanted a penalty for it. The reality is that should have been a Wales line-out on the 22 when it bounced off because yeah. he's doing all he needs to do, which is go backwards. If you decide to kick the ball at somebody who's retreating, that's your own bloody fault. Yeah, it's a bit of a dick move, isn't it? Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit then about uh, Wales in defence and specifically Nick Tompkins. Now, there was a lot of call from some areas for for Eddie Jones to pick Nick Tompkins for England when, you know, England have got a, a plethora of centre options when you look at it, you know, with Tuolagi, Joseph, Slade, Farrell, you know, Daly potentially at 13. So, you know, Wales were in a position where job with Jonathan Davis being injured and, you know, probably coming towards the end of his career. Well, not, you know, it's not the end, but he's, he's on the wrong side of his Wales career, should we say? Yeah. Um, the last couple of games for me, Nick Tonkins has been found out quite a bit defensively. Now he's played in very good Saracens teams that have dominated and looked great going forward, but in defence, uh, he seems to be struggling quite a bit. So, what Saracens do very well is they play a system, and if you fit in that system. And you play to what in what that system's doing, you'll do fine. And to some degree, having Barrett there beside him in Saracen's shirt means that um, means that kind of he's got a bit more freedom in attack to to pick some different lines. But this the the kind of the Wolfpack defense system, he knows, but it's the only thing he's ever really known. Um, to me, he looks like a kid who's just been a 20 year old kid who's been thrown on in debut. And he's, he looks like sometimes remember when Billy 12 trees used to come off the bench and would be hitting rocks all over the place, carrying balls up the middle, trying to do everything himself for the last 15 minutes. That's what he looks like. He looks like somebody who's just trying to make a really good impression by trying to do everything. And actually I think what Wales need him to do is just chill the fuck out and be a center. Yeah, don't like, like there don't were times to he was too much. He was passing the ball from scrum half and then hitting the next ruck like a flanker. So you're a centre. You've got you've got a prop carrying the ball up with two second rows on his shoulder. Leave him alone and go and do what you need to do. 
yeah, absolutely. And and it kind of it kind of all compounded it with the interception for for Intermax try, didn't it? Trying to yeah. force things and and just try, like you say, probably trying a little bit too hard, maybe. Yeah. No. No. I I, I think that's very much the case. And I suppose as a as a wider point, this is where a team rugby Saxons or equivalent is being missed. There is no real blooding of people to international rugby in a in a less competitive, not that any rugby games ever uncompetitive, but in a in a less um, fishbowl environment and give people the chance to to kind of take a bit of pressure off, make their mistakes, and actually try and work out is there a quality player in here or not. Instead, it's you you're qualified, we we're in need, here's a shirt, on you go. We've got a two-week training camp for you to work out what we're doing. And I think if if we did have like a, a an A-League Six Nations or maybe even if it was just like an A-League Autumn International kind of thing, that's where you give Nick Tompkins three games and you find out, is he going to make it or is he not? And, yeah. and learn a bit more about him. It's like the, the old sort of Churchill Cup type affair and I know we've we've trodden down this path before but you think of all of the players that could learn from international rugby playing even playing against USA and Canada you know playing even if there was like a a reserve sort of six nations Italy would struggle even more Scotland would again but if you think you had a Wales a the Irish Wolfhounds and, and the England Saxons you know think of how good some of those teams could be and, yeah, you know, and it gives and it gives those fringe players. Like, um, oh, so Don Armand, classic example. Came on, he every time he came on for England, he just looked like he was trying a bit too hard. Gave away a couple of penalties. Now his face doesn't fit. If if you've got a Saxons kind of uh, setup, he probably gets a bit more game time. Starts a few games gets the nerves out of his system. And actually, you might have a decent, not that we're short of back row players, but you might have a decent person there to bring in if someone gets injured. Yeah, but and it gives the coaches it gives the coaches an opportunity to look at a wider pool of players or yeah. it gives a bit more of a development system. And I know, you know, squads are picked and, you know, obviously we've got the, the PRL, which will completely object to this. And, you know, we're already diluting the premiership while playing... Uh, you just have to look at some of the the results this weekend of the Premiership to see, you know, is it being diluted by by the best players playing in international games? Um, you know, to to introduce that more game time for for players, you know, will be diluting this Premiership even more. And it's going on till sort of June as it is. It's a difficult one to balance, isn't it? It is definitely. It is. Um, I suppose another good example would be Luke Cowan-Dickey, who first few games couldn't hit a line out to save his life. Now, anybody who's watched him at Exeter knows that his throwing is generally pretty reliable. Now, he looks like he fits perfectly into the squad. But I think it's only the shortage of hookers that's given him the opportunities to to make up for and not be chucked away. So that's, that's kind of my thoughts on Nick Tompkins is, actually, you should probably judge him on next year's Six Nations. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, he's Pivak's lucky that it's his first Six Nations, so he's gonna get gonna have a a reasonable amount of rope to. Yeah, and and it's straight after a World Cup, and you know I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, where it might it might have been last week with Doug that um, ultimately 
Pivak's trying to change the way they play. He's coming in after Warren Gatland, which is kind of like taking over from Sir Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger. You know, it's almost a bit of a thankless task unless you hit the ground running completely. And if you're going to try and put your own stamp on it and try and change the way that they play, which is kind of what Pivak's doing fundamentally, then there's going to be a bit of pain whilst that transition happens. So you've you've got to you've got to put up with that a little bit, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in Twickenham in in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's have a very quick reference to the Scotland Italy game. Uh, which was 17-0 in Rome to Scotland. Um, three tries. I didn't watch the game. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't sound like it was the most enthralling game, but good for Scots to to get a win under their belts to set them up going into the last couple of games of the tournament. I mean, they had a real chance against Ireland in Dublin, and obviously with Hogg dropping the ball, they made a couple of errors, and you know they had a they could have done something over there, uh, but. You know, obviously that loss to England will hurt, and and now they've got a couple of games to to make it right. Yeah, when when highlights are less than two minutes, you know it's going to be a fairly turgid affair. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a strange one. Um, said said it a few times before that they're, they're almost a caricature of themselves, Scotland. That they'll they'll struggle to impress against an Italy side they'll look fantastic against one of the good teams but still not not quite make it um I think the big game for them um who they got at home they got Wales or uh France at home I believe yeah so they're gonna struggle they've got to hope that France kind of get get knocked off their um off their roll a bit for them to do anything there. Going to Wales with Wales smarting off the back of losing to France. Yeah, they've got France. Think, they're, they're Scotland's next game is at home to France, which is a week Sunday. I yeah, I'm I'm struggling to see much light there for Scotland. I mean, if they if they get away with two close losses, they'll they'll probably see that not as a success, but as kind of about a barometer for where they are. Um, Italy just, I mean, Christ, look at the world rankings. They're down at about 14th now. There's there's something fundamentally wrong in Italian rugby. Um, well, which is which is odd because they were they were they they look to be starting to make real progress. I mean, I can't remember what the exact stats are. It was like something like twenty five consecutive Six Nations defeats or of something of that nature. And and it it it's got to be a time to start to look and again this is a probably a conversation for another day but at least have a playoff there is that second tier competition at least at the very least have a playoff in the summer have a, yeah have a two-leg playoff summer or autumn something like that yeah it's yeah at least yeah. It, at least it gives them something to play towards but it's and, and it answers that question if they have the the six-team tournament works really well and I think worked works much better than when it was the five nations where you had to work out are we playing this week are we not playing this week is this our rest week and uh, having a six-team tournament works so much better than a five-team tournament but I don't think Italy at the moment are justifying their position within it and I think the answer is you have a playoff and if if you have a playoff and and they win the playoff that's fair enough that's conversation over it's done with the trouble, the trouble is, I suppose, 
the the fixtures are kind of set logistic wise tickets all that sort of stuff it would need to be sort of set up well in advance wouldn't it you know it'd probably be another 18 months before that would even come to fruition but it's something that that needs to that needs to happen yeah definitely. um let's let's move on let's go to uh twickenham yesterday for um what was a really really good performance from england i don't want to get too hyped up about it um maybe that's wrong and you might correct me but i thought for all of what um i thought all of what england did well uh on the reverse for 60 minutes ireland did really poorly and yes. and other than that tw- that 20 minute spell in the beginning of the second half ireland looked almost completely devoid of of ideas now you could, you could, we can we can talk about the fact that england's type 5 absolutely dominated ireland from start to finish which meant the the level of ball it meant the errors it meant the penalty count especially in that first half was was all against ireland because they could not get a foothold in the game england's tactical kick in from hand uh up and unders like retrieving our own ball it was it was really really good in that first half and you know it was we almost we almost played a very irish game against ireland yeah you're exactly right we what we did was we there wasn't as much box kicking there was more kicking from hand proportionally but our kicks were going in contestable positions and that meant that they were either getting crap ball or we were getting the ball back. Their kicks generally either didn't go far enough or went straight to hand, but they, that's because they were under so much pressure. What England did very well is what, what the French did to the Welsh. They, they were up in the faces really, really quick. Um, now, with the ball, there's to me, there's two big differences in the way England played with the ball than the last two games. They had Tuolangi doing what Tuolangi has to do to be effective. They had him taking the ball off first receiver or even sometimes at first receiver, hitting that channel between 10 and open side or 10 and back man of the line out. Coming back on the angle. Coming back on the angle, exactly. Yes, he's got 13 on his back. But when Tuolangi's at his most dangerous and when any big ball carrying um, centre's at their most dangerous, you're... Kind of your Mike Tindall's, your Jamie Roberts, your people, your Mar Nonu's. It's when they're taking the ball in tight, coming back on an angle, hitting the inside shoulder of ten, hitting that weak, weak shoulder of Sexton. So they did that two or three times early, and then all of a sudden that Irish back row are thinking we can't go out wide because we've got to we've got to hang around here, and and that and that creates when, spaces. Absolutely, that's when England managed to actually get further forward. They they. See, with Manu punching those holes, it enabled them to go behind his back and extend the field. But it also kept the defence honest so that when the kick behind was on, There's space there. They had, there was space there because they were trying to front up into Manu. And it brought the best of George Ford because George Ford has got quick ball with time. And yes. actually, as much as Youngs was still doing his two steps and then passing... What Youngs was doing, which he hasn't been doing either, is as soon as he gets there, picking the ball up. 
So yeah. actually, there's there's less delay in shifting the ball out wide. So Young's um, Ford's got quick ball with no under no pressure to be able to pick what to do. Now the other thing that added a bit of balance, and and just a bit of balance, was the fact that Courtney Laws did a hell of a lot of carrying work. It's not necessarily his natural game, and I would still much rather see Don Brown playing in the back row. But what it did was you got two Alangian Laws doing doing considerably more bulky carrying work than the England line had over the last two games. Yeah, he added that. Welcome, Lensman. Evening all. How are you? Uh, 50-50. Fifty fifty. Lamar? Yeah. Yeah. Can, can we have the good fifty? Uh, if I can get through the snot, yes. Well, you'll have the fifty you're given. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we were just uh, we've literally just started talking about the England game, mate. So you may have heard yeah. then we were we were talking about the England's use of Tuolangi and England playing a very almost a very Irish style of, of game plan against Ireland who didn't really turn up for the game. No. Um, everyone seems to think that it was a good performance from England. It was. I would argue that it's emphasised more some of the concerns people have about England in that they've got Manu back and playing. And all of a sudden we look good again, but it doesn't really sort out the thing that we need to sort out, which is how do we play without Manu? Yeah. Because we we look utter pants without him, um, and I would I would say that that's something we need to address. But I would I would argue. But that's it. I'm not look, I'm not taking anything away from the result. It's obviously a great result, um, but there. You know, I think it's posed as many questions as it's given answers. Yeah, but I, 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 I'm not Eddie Jones, obviously. I don't know. I don't know what gave it away, but I've got, um, I've got a thought on your the point that you just made then about how we play without Manu, and that is if we play, if we can't, if Manu Tuolangi isn't available, then I don't think we should approach the game with the Ford Farrell combination at ten. In twelve, I think if Manu Tuolangi isn't available, we need to find a Devoto type twelve who is a hard ball carrier um, to, so you... to punch those holes because because teams know that Owen Farrell isn't gonna hard line them from twelve, so it's easier to defend when you've got Manu popping up off the nine, off the ten, that keeps defenses honest. When you've got Farrell at twelve and potentially let's argue, let's Joseph, they know that they can spread a little bit wider to cover those channels because the chances are we're not going to go through them. So you're saying pick a game plan to suit the personnel that you have available. It's revolutionary. It's, it's revolutionary. It's, it's, crazy. Crazy. it's, it's a hot take. It's a hot take. Give me that. Um, Steaming hot take. But I don't, you know, let, like you say, let's not take too much away from England. Um, I mentioned at the start of the, the segment that I thought England were as good in all the areas that Ireland were pretty bad. Um, the type five, we marmalized them to the point where James Ryan became uh, almost a bit of a parody of himself. I've seen a lot of a lot of pelters from a lot of England supporters about James Ryan's conduct 
during the match and going off his feet and clearing out. He certainly seemed very angry. He did seem very angry. But what people need to realise, especially England fans, is that how often around the world has Maru Atoje just been a right idiot? Maybe not angry and aggressive, but just been a right irritant. Oh, he was... When he was um, when he had his back on the ground and was holding on to Stander and somebody else, I can't remember who else it was. Brilliant. Like it's yeah, it's shithousery. It's shithousery, mate. And but you I... do it, you do it, and you get away with it. Where where it's different with, I suppose, the Ryan one in particular with Curry is you've got somebody who's pinned on the ground and he's come straight in from the the side at, at kind of shoulder to head height. Now. I there's there's people calling for him to be cited. I have absolutely zero time for that. There are people saying it should have been a red card. I, I haven't even got that much time for that. What it should have been is the first time he did it, Piper mm. should have blown his whistle, said, you're coming from the side. You made no attempt to to do this legally. It's a penalty. Do it again. It's a card. And, and, and he won't do it again. And this is where I think, like, Actually, you can complain about it all you like. Like you can complain about the fact that Itoji's always offside. Like you can complain about the fact that when he got a, a hand to a Conor Murray box kick, he'd already been told to get back once and he took about half a step back and was still offside. You play the referee. They're like The responsibility here doesn't... Yes, it kind of comes down to the players to play league. It was bollocks. You play the referee. And then if the referee's going to let you get away with it once and not even have a word, you do it again. And you keep doing it again. If there's one thing we love on the All Over podcast, it's somebody posting a freeze frame of somebody hitting somebody in a ruck. Now I don't more. Of, can we have more of that, please? I I don't know if it's my shit internet upstairs in my office or what, but the video didn't even look visible. It looked like it looked like somebody had taken four frames and tried to stitch them together into something meaningful. It was, but yeah. There, there um, was there was lots of gifts and stills and this and that and I mean like you say obviously our friend Jacko was it was a free for all let's be honest that breakdown was it was it was a free for all there's no other way to describe it he refereed it like a Frenchman and he guessed occasionally and gave a few penalties did the same at the scrum um, again you know. People accuse England of arrogance and saltiness. The amount of saltiness I've seen. Do you see that that Irish guy go at Ellis Genge on Twitter today? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah what a yeah. honestly, the level of saltiness is just. He he kept posting. He posted two or three times, I think, a picture of Jason Leonard and said, "This is a real, you know, this is a real hearty um, English." legend front row forward you're just a nobody mate and then it's getting just like what are you talking about pal <laughs> honestly this yeah jason leonard knew how to prop and would never bend any rules he's he's yeah it's <laughs> just a joke but yeah it's it's one of those things where actually as as shit as piper was as a ref and he is shit it was pretty fair because like, he was he was, he was he, shit he, for both teams exactly and and as a rugby player that's all you can really ask for like um all of the all of the crap that went on he basically i don't think he gave a penalty for any of the the shitty stuff that went on with the, with Itoja and Stander thing and then you had the the Farrell and Stander I, th- thing. I thought he refereed I thought he actually refereed that brilliantly yeah of course he did sorry, sorry Farrell deserved every slap to a guy's you're holding on to a guy's leg. 
It's your own bloody fault. It's... Agreed. Absolutely. And it just, you know, and that takes us back to the point about Sexton, Farrell and, and Bigger. What the fuck is the matter with them? What is the matter with this continual referee baiting? And we, yes, we hear it a lot more now because the level of the ref mic and all this sort of stuff. Um, and the whole commentator apologising for bad language when we know that the referee's mic is on in, a, in an international test match. I know they've got to do it, and but is madness. They should just say, they should just put a disclaimer out at the start and forget about it. Um, I, I actually thought Farrell wasn't as bad in that game as, as I've seen him a lot of the time. Yeah, because England were winning. Yes, he was a prick with that incident, but in terms of ref, and obviously it's easier when you're winning, I didn't think he was anywhere near as bad as, as he has been historically. Um, Sexton does my nut. Are they, I think from an Ireland perspective, um, I think the captaincy might be weighing on him a bit. I think he might be, you haven't, we haven't seen Sexton playing the way that, that Sexton plays. And part of that is because defences know if they get in his, in his face, he doesn't like it that much. But he's become a lot more susceptible to that than he used to be. Um, but he just doesn't, like, yeah, he's not the Sexton of old. Maybe it's Murray's getting the ball. Yeah, maybe it's Murray's not not right for him anymore. And like, I I don't know anybody who knows anything about rugby, or certainly more than me about rugby, who doesn't think that Cooney should be starting. Absolutely, Doug is a nine. What do you you do? You think it's it's a little bit of baby in the bathwater with with Conor Murray um, because he's not getting the level of support protection from from his forwards, or do you think it could be Murray is has ridden his race? It's just as simple as he's not playing very well, and he's he's keeping his place because he's a senior player, which is one of the most annoying terms in sport. Uh, obviously, John Cooney is the bet playing the better rugby, and the re- I've no idea why he's not being picked to start, but. He's not. I mean, there's, to, from what I've seen of rugby this year, there's three better scrum halves in Ireland. You know, every other prov, every every other province has got a better a better scrum half, and he's just being picked because he's got a million caps. And that'll continue to happen until probably he decides that he doesn't want to play anymore. Yeah, which is a shame. Which is a shame. Well, not Do... not for an Englishman. It's not. <laughs> no, that, I that's think true. He's playing forever. Eman Sexton. Okay, just keep him playing. <laughs> Is is there is there an issue with this Irish pack that um, and I'm just trying to find their ages and I'm not going to be able to do it in time that the pack that they're playing a lot of them are fairly Ian well in Healy must be 150. Well, yeah. and that's kind of my point. Like, He's got plenty uh, of miles on the clock, isn't he? For a yeah. for a tight head prop, for he is. And he is a tight head, isn't he? No, no who he's knows? Not, he's, not, he's a loser. He's that was he's a loser. Good. Yeah. Who cares? Same thing. Number one, left to right, yeah. Well done. Um, <laughs> he uh, he's got so many miles on the clock. I thought, um, obviously, since Rory Best's injury, um, who was the other guy that they used to have? The Leinster lad. The other was he must be injured. John Hayes. No, no, the <laughs> um, the hooker. Um, they had Rory Best and oh, I can't remember what the guy's name was. He he was the perennial understudy, and he was probably better than. Than Rory Best for a long time. Um, see if you can find his name. Oh, I, think he's, I think he's. I think I know who you mean. I think he's retired. Uh, right, because I mean, Rob Herring did not have a good game 
Um, his line out was fishy at best. It... <laughs> Come on, <laughs> fucking twat. <laughs> um. And you know, as good as as good as uh, Omani Van der Fleer and Stander are, and Stander has been as probably the standout player of the tournament so far. If they haven't got support, Devon Toner is just basically a a, tr- a tree with legs. He's, yeah. So t- yeah, Toner adds nothing outside the set play. I don't think Omani's half the player that he used to be. Kian Healy's ninety seven, and you just look at it and you go. Is this the best that Ireland can produce with all their strength and depth? Well, they, and, is, uh, it, is, it, is it? Could could you say that potentially they're not playing enough club rugby? You could, you could say what you like with that kind of you show. Are, are are they saying that they're not? Are they not playing enough rugby at a high enough level to compete every single match at international level? Yeah, it's that think... it's that balance, isn't it? It's that that thing that that we've already or we've talked about before. And some say, oh, they get plenty of rest and they only play fifteen games a season across all of the um, the Pro fourteen and Heineken Cup. But over the over the last ten years, Peter Romani, for example, he's played one hundred and thirty three games for Munster. So it's an average of 13 a year. And I can guarantee you'd have played more in 2010 than he did in 2019. Yeah. And when you compare Sexton to... If you were to compare position by position, you would find that England have played a lot more. Um, But it's it's an interesting point to pose. Rest versus competitive rugby. Will we see that with uh, any Saracens that decide to stay next season it's um and play championship is that who knows somebody playing table tennis <laughs> phil's doing his ham-fisted typing i reckon <laughs> douche, douche, douche. I'm, try- um, I'm trying to bring some facts to the podcast rather than yeah, just let's, let's, let's let's keep it opinion based Still, mate. mate we're safe we're safer if we keep it opinion don't ever claim I, a fact I, yeah i think so um don't, don't ever do anything approaching work for this podcast no <laughs> Um, Eddie Jones uh, again some more top trolling Um, he had Ben Earl on the bench decided to take off um, uh, Courtney Laws and let Charlie Hills come and pack down at 8 when he had Ben Earl on the bench Doug you're uh, you're shaking your head you're not happy with this I mean I've just kind of had enough of his nonsense if I'm honest yes he's getting results but he's picking five locks and a winger and then getting one of the locks to play eight even though you've got an eight on the bench and two eights that scored tries this weekend you know got to stop saying you know but you know I, I, do, you reckon, do you reckon they brought him on so they could dominate even more in the scrum you have three second rows pushing. You've got a decent amount of push there coming on. Yeah, but then by the same theory, what you'd, you'd have Courtney Laws pushing at eight from the start on their balls and having Curry actually playing where he wants to play. Exactly right. Exactly right. But uh, uh, do we need to keep 
pandering to Eddie Jones's mental tactics and just put up with it because that's just what Eddie Jones does. As I say, Jonathan Joseph, I thought actually had a very good game on the wing and he got involved and he played, he played a style of game on the wing, which I would akin to the Jack Knoll style of winger where he comes and gets involved. He does sort of work around the breakdowns. He comes in and, and gets off his wing. Whereas Johnny May is, is your stereotypical wide winger who, who tends not to get involved too much. He got away with it because Conway never got any ball, and because Sexton couldn't put in a decent cross kick in that in that area. Um, but that's the point: is he got away with it. Jonathan Joseph is not a winger, and he'll be the first person to admit that. And Christ, it was only six or seven weeks ago we were talking about the the absolute depth that we've got out on the wing. And yeah, a couple of players have got injured, but Christ, is that the best? Is that the best option we've got on the wing to play a centre there? He's a great centre, but... And McConaughey, who he took to the World Cup, scored two tries. Thorley scored weekend. as well, didn't he? It's just madness. I'm, I'm kind of fed up at doing it because the more, the more you question him, the more he sticks with his gun. So what's the point? Perhaps, uh, and... perhaps, if, the press, perhaps if everybody just backed off and stopped questioning him. Or, he, or just went I think he likes to think that he's cleverer than everyone. Or just went, oh, yeah, that's a really... That's a really good idea, Eddie. That's a really good one. And then he'll go, oh, shit, I can't do that because people think it's a good idea. I'll have to do something else. That'd be lovely. <laughs> if yeah, so if we could just... Players. Yeah, if we could just get all of the press to write about how Ben Youngs is by far and away the best nine that there is in the country, then there's no way that he'll pick him. He's terrible, honestly. He's just terrible. Even in a commanding win, he was terrible. It was it was the best game I've seen him play for about nine months, but it was still shit. Just the, the quality of delivery is just awful. He, I think we're falling into the trap of thinking that when he when England win, he plays well. I don't think it's anything to do with that. I think he the amount of times the ball was slow. Well, you've already been over it. I don't need to go over it again. I thought it was shit. <laughs> and uh, um, his replacement, Willie Hines, doesn't tend to offer too much. He, he's a good game manager, got decent control. But you know, is that what England is that what England need? We thrive on the ability to go forward. We thrive on the ability to to get quicker ball, and we've got two nines that that like to take their their time at the base of a ruck. It, it's it's quite frustrating, really. Um, it's frustrating when you see the other teams' nines just fizzing passes at the drop of a hat, you know. Well, and we've we've already spent nowhere near enough time raving about how good Dupont is. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't we haven't mentioned uh, Sam Underhill yet, and I think that's probably a disgrace. Or or Marrow, but Sam Underhill, yes. Like the the guy is just an absolute machine. If you could, if you could get a computer and design exactly what you want a flanker to be like, it's Sam Underhill. Like he's got a massive engine, tackles all day long, dominates every tackle. He'll do the groundwork as well. He's there supporting. He's trying to. The the one thing he doesn't do that much of is carry the ball. But I think he probably made five or six carries on Saturday, Sunday as well. 
when he does, he tends to carry effectively. He carries at pace. It's not it's not um highlight reel carrying. No. He'll carry he'll carry at pace, he'll hit contact um as far forwards as anybody's likely to, because he's carrying at pace, and he'll make two or three yards after contact. And realistically, Gregory Aldrich did that about twenty times on Saturday and people were raving about how good he was. But what he was doing was running the ball hard at people. And that's like, he's not hes not going to be offloading and throwing in sidesteps. But every other part of his game is just immense. He's, he's a real class act of that, there, there's no doubt. And He's Lewis Moody. I think just, he's, he's Lewis with Moody the, with class. With, yeah, with a brain, yeah. I think Lewis, Lewis Moody was excellent at being that, dogged, determined, just a real bag of scruff, if that makes sense. Whereas Sam Underhill, the way he tackles, the way he jackals, he, there is there seems to be a lot more control and a lot more thought and processing that goes on with Sam Underhill as opposed to to the way Lewis Moody used to play. He um he reads which kind of tackle is going to be the best tackle to do very well. You never see him going high and get hit backwards. If he's going in, if he's going in above knee height, he's dominating and driving the the other player backwards because they're stationary. If they're running forwards at pace, he'll go for the chop tackle, and he he reads that as well as anybody in the game. Here's a random fact: um, I hated Joe Marler about a hundred times less with a completely bald head rather than a Mohican. <laughs> completely irrelevant, I know, but well, he was. He was... He was quiet, that's why. He was quiet, he, he, was, he did, he did his, job. his job. He did his job, he got on with things, and in an England shirt, I don't have a I don't really have a problem with him because he's kind of always he's always done the right thing I've, for England. I, I'd still see him as our number three loose head. I'd I play Mako and have Genj on the bench. Yeah, probably. But well, yeah, he's coming towards the end now anyway. But it just it was just a, a bit of a, an observation that I did. as soon as I saw him pop up on the television, I just felt less rage inside me because he like, didn't have a Mohican. It's like looking in a mirror. Well, don't say that. That's <laughs> uh, But it's kind of true. He's got a bit of an upside down head and stuff as well. Um, talking of that, I was on the radio today on uh, on Love Sport talking to Martin Bell about the Six Nations action. You can catch that on at Love Sport Radio. Listen again. It's about 12.30 today. Um, any more for any more about the Six Nations? Obviously, the next round, we welcome Wales to Twickenham. Are you, uh, are you working on that one, Doug? No. No? Okay. That was easy. Have you got any more <laughs> Six Nations coming up? Or are you, are you doing, kind of done? I think I'm doing Wales-Scotland last round. I think, I think oh. Wales, England, Wales, England, Ireland, France are the two big games. They're the two ones that, that will determine what the table looks like at the end. Well, we need Ireland to drop a, a banger on our France, don't we? Well, that's that's yeah. at eight. That's at eight o'clock on the last day, isn't it? Fourteenth of March. Is so, going to happen? I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I think France will. I think Ireland, Scotland showed, and England showed. And to to some extent, Wales for a large chunk of the game showed how you beat Ireland. You put them under pressure for the 
and uh, they they kind of fall apart. England Wales, I think, is it very much depends which England turns up because I think Wales have been the same for the three games and and relatively uh, uninspiring at times and and look like they're not far off clicking at other times, but England. It depends if they play like they did on Sunday. I can't see Wales getting anything out of it. If they play like they did for either of the previous two games, I think Wales will probably win. I think it'll be interesting to see um, how Wales continue with that um, offloading style away from home after the games. Obviously, they've they've played um, Ireland at home, didn't they? France at home. Is that right? Did they play Ireland away? Ireland away, wasn't it? Uh, but we'll we'll see we'll see whether they they carry on uh, along that along that route. Let's move on to some Premiership action. Uh, big weekend in the Premiership. There was a absolute shit ton of points scored this weekend. Um, Friday night was uh, an absolute mauling for Saracens at Wasps, which was sixty odd. Um, 60-odd 10 or 60-odd 12. Absolute madness. Which leads us... it into my veins. Inject it into my <laughs> 60, cock. 60 points to 10. Inject it into my cock. Um, it, it begs the question. You said it earlier, Phil, on, um, on Saracens. Is with them kind of mailing... They beat Sale at home last week. This week, they go to Wasps, who have been struggling... And they absolutely get pummeled um, with a with a decent with a, side. With a actually. decent team, yeah. It wasn't like they they had a team full of, um, I say, academy products, but a, a team full of sort of people you don't know who they are. And uh, yeah, is it, is it not oh. a case of they just don't give a shit anymore about anything other than that? The only thing Saracens have to play for is the Champions Cup. They're like they don't they don't give a shit about the Premiership. Why why would they care now about the Premiership? Yeah, they can't they can't go and go unbeaten all season and kind of prove a point because they've lost too many games already. They're going to end up bottom of the table with the record lowest point score ever. So what's the point? Why why give a shit? Like and I, and it's it's a really hard thing to say having never gone onto a rugby pitch thinking why give a shit. But you know what it's like. Some games you're up for it and some games you're not and. It's a real struggle to get up for it. If it doesn't it's, matter, it's really not. It's really not fair for some of the teams that have already been pasted by Saracens either. Well, so I think phone it in for the rest of the season. You know? I think oh. they should just—they just like they've—they've they've effectively chucked them out of the league. So chuck them out of the league and void all their results. Well, just, Fra- yeah. at Frank Odinho on on Twitter has, has said the same thing. Bath took a bit of a pasting against Saracens earlier in the season. Now Bath still find themselves in in fourth place. Um, and you were at the wreck on Saturday, Doug. Yep. We'll we'll come on to that in in a second if you've got anything to uh, to say about Bath. But you know they they can pick and choose Saracens what games they kind of turn up for, and you can, you know that they're gonna when they play Exeter at home, it's gonna be an absolute ding dong because they'll they'll bring back all the big guns and it will just be you know let's let's get one over on Exeter. You know, but they beat Sale, who were Exeter's biggest rivals, and you just think oh, it doesn't—it doesn't make it kind of doesn't make any sense this whole season because that leads that kind of you know you can ask the question then for 
for Leicester, for instance, right? And having watched Leicester two weeks ago against Wasps on, on BT and watching them on Friday night, I mean, that Friday night game at Sale, Leicester were atrocious, like properly, properly bad. Um, the Like Marlon Yard score a hat-trick, bad. And... <laughs> and you know, they they offered absolutely nothing. I mean, my my twin got a uh, a yellow card in the first half. It just they looked like they didn't want to be there. And you go through the Leicester the Leicester team, and there was a, a young lad called uh, Tommy Reffel, um or Raffel, who was quite good, a young a young Welsh back rower. But other than that, they just had nothing about them, and it was it was like a training game for Sale. They just went through the motions. They picked up the bonus point, and they were like, "Yeah, thanks for coming, Leicester. We'll just there's, give you a pump in." There's so many things about the Premiership table at the moment that, uh, bearing in mind we're now at the halfway stage, that just don't make sense and make me just not give a shit about the Premiership. You got okay. You got Bath, who've won the second highest number of games, are sat in fifth because they've only won one bonus point with a points difference of minus nine, because they've taken some humpings and they've won a load really tight. You've got Sale in second with a points difference of 99, Bristol in third with a points difference of six. And it just yeah. doesn't... Like the table's just a mess. It's like somebody's it's like somebody's taken a load of teams and gone, I'm going to make a logic puzzle so that you can try and work out who's won by how many points and make it as hard as possible. It's just... <sighs> I mean, you've what- got... You got one victory separates what sixth from second. Yeah. London Irish in sixth with twenty seven points, and Sailor in second with thirty one. Now, would London Irish potentially would London Irish be in sixth place had Saracens not have already been relegated? No, because there would be at least one position lower. But would other teams? Would it have altered the way other teams approach the game? And this is what I said a couple of weeks ago where ultimately there's no consequences. Teams can, can do whatever they like. They can mail it in. It doesn't matter whether they do, whether they don't, because no one's going to get relegated other than Saracens. So Leicester Tigers, as shit as they are this season, if Saracens weren't in the position they're in, they'd be in real, real trouble. But now they've got a free pass. Doesn't matter. They've scored 180 points in 11 games. They're just it's so bad. Awful. They're so bad. And to make it worse, they're really bad to watch. <laughs> they've just got no... They've got absolute, They've got nothing about them. Humping it directly into my anus. Saracens and Leicester being bottom two of the league. You it's must amazing. Be. It's just fantastic. Love it. Um, but you... Let, let's, let's actually mention you were at Bath... Uh, on yep. Saturday, on the buttons, weren't you? Were you, were you on the yeah. big, big boy uh, buttons. Next time you criticise some some TV footage, you see, just uh, take it from me. It's not as easy as it looks. <laughs> but yeah, I directed the well, most of the most of the Bath Harlequins match. Right, I was being sh- I was shadowing the actual director, but I I cut well all all of the second half basically, and. Um, yeah, cool. it was an interesting is it, experience. Is it only a matter of time before we see you do a live TV game? Or is that a little way off yet? That's a way off yet. It, it'll be the games that go out in the highlights programs for, for the foreseeable. Um, 
still good though, Future, mate. But... Yeah, yeah, it's great. I've, it's, thanks, man. It's been a few years coming. I've been badgering away and working behind the scenes to get it done. But um, finally, finally got it done. And if I never do it again, I can always say I did it. Yeah. So, so but how was uh, how was the game? Like Bath the game. It's weird that, that I've said it many times before, but the salary cap is brilliant at keeping things level. But what you get when things are level is teams that are just equally shit. Now, I don't, I don't think Bath are very good. Uh, I don't think Harlequins are bad. I just think they're both a bit average, really. Marcus Smith is brilliant. I'd love to see an England team with him at 10 and Farrell. And, uh, yeah, him at 10, Farrell at 13, and Manu at 12 would be interesting. IMO. Fun, fun Farrell at 13, interesting. Yeah. Uh, like, going back to the point we made last week about the second playmaker actually playing at 13, not 12. Yeah, because you need the threat of the crash ball off twelve, don't you? Which is yeah. which is what Henry Slade has done well for X so well for Exeter in in the past, having yeah. someone like you know someone an assuming like your Sam Hill or your Ian Witten or you know whatever at twelve inside, and then allow you just need a hammer, don't you? You don't you don't need yeah you don't need precision engineering. You need a hammer at twelve yeah. in, for me, and I think with. Manu there and, and Farrell outside him and with Smith I think Smith is a, just an all-rounder better player than George Ford from what I've seen especially this year and I think he's getting kind of lost in that Harlequin side because there's not a great deal of talent they don't win much uh, well he's yeah. he's he's given the ball to that blunt instrument Paul Lazicki at 12 isn't he he's kind of yeah. he's kind of doing that that job um, build well. It wasn't build as anything really. I'm interested to hear if there was any um, standout between Zach Mercer and Alex Dombrant, two young English. No, they're, they're, they're both very, very good. I don't think you should say. I don't think you can say that one's better than the other or one played better than the other. I think they. I think Mers had something like twenty odd carries, and Dombrant had a charge down try. So they both did amazing things, and they're obviously both very good at. Playing number eight and wearing the shirt with number eight on the back, Eddie will probably pick Don Brandt as a I don't know loose head or something. Um, but they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're they're both very good players. I, I don't think it's fair to say that one's better than the other at the moment. I think they're both still finding their feet. Mercer's only just back from a long injury. Um, yeah, I thought Roy McConaughey was very good and probably could feel a little bit hard done by not to have been involved in the Six Nations. Um, I know he's, kept... he's coming back from in- injury a little bit as well, isn't he? But yeah, it yeah. seems strange. It seems strange that now he's fit with, with Noel being injured, Thokken Asiga being injured, that he's not even been called up to, to the wider squad. Yeah. Especially after going to the world cup. Very strange. But, Maybe yeah. he just didn't do himself any favors while he was out there. No, who knows? Uh, exactly. That's that. That's the problem. Uh, look, I, th- I think Exeter have shown this weekend that they're head and shoulders above everyone else, and everyone else is a long way behind. Either of these teams could could make the top four, or could finish tenth. Yeah, 
I think uh, I, I think by the end of the season, there's going to be maybe a dozen points separating everyone below Exeter and yeah. everyone else. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I mean, so London. What, what you could say. Yeah. Well, ironically, we were saying right from the start, this could be the most open Premiership that we've seen, and it's turned it into a bit of a fast that the the most open. You could you could say it's open because it's equally as mediocre is harsh, but vanilla. Every all the teams are, are capable of beating each other, um, which is which is kind of what we want. Um, but by the same token, it doesn't make it it doesn't make it too exciting. But yeah, it's it's an it's certainly going to be interesting to see. Uh, London Irish beat Gloucester four tries for Ollie Hassel Collins. Um, a couple of absolute gifts, but a couple of really good finishes as well. Um, and Gloucester, just you know, I watched. I only saw the highlights of this game. Um, commentated on by a friend of the show, Sam Roberts, who I'm going on the Fancy Rugby Draft podcast tomorrow night. So, the, for those of you that listen to that, check me out on there. Uh, I watched quite a bit on Sunday of Exeter versus Northampton, and for the first. Well, for the first twenty, well, first twenty-five minutes, it was fairly error strewn. Northampton, mate. I don't know whether you watched it, Doug. I didn't but, watch it. Mate. I, I didn't. I was driving back from Bristol. Um, Northampton, oh, Bristol. Northampton were were really poor, and Chris uh, Chris Boyd was was fairly honest in his in his post match interview, but they were extremely bad, like errors handling errors they couldn't they couldn't get the ball through midfield um every time they got it anywhere near making a bit of momentum they just dropped it and as soon as Exeter scored the first try very Exeter um like try it was a, a well, there was a break down the uh the left hand side of a, a break by Ben Moon of all people um who had a fantastic game who set up anyway? Set up Johnny Hill, and then from there the the floodgates just opened. They signed extra signed the Janis Kirsten, the big South African this this summer. Um, he played. He's been a sort of a bit of a bit part bending himself in, um, and then in the last few weeks he was absolutely monstrous. He is an absolute beast of a he man. Is. Like it's he a was tackling, he was carrying, he was absolutely. He only played sixty minutes. Got man of the match. He was amazing. Um, and the other one I wanted to mention was uh, a young young guy called Tom Hendrickson, who's kind of just making his way, played at 12, and he was really, really excellent as well. Um, and even Sam Simmons managed to grab grab himself a garbage garbage time try. Uh, but 57-7 against arguably your, your closest rivals in the Premiership is is quite the arsing. And, uh, no, I don't... And Northampton's team that played Exeter is nowhere near the team that they can put out. Oh no, no, agree. There's no I think Hutchinson. It's a very different, two very different things. No, no Hutchinson. Laws. Uh, no laws. No bigger, which is probably the biggest loss. Yeah. And then we were playing without Furbank, so we had calamity Tuala at, at fullback. Um, it was supposed to be um, Malander, wasn't it? But he pulled out with a hamstring injury just before, which meant Tuala right. so, was on. So Ludlam was on the bench. Our start in front row was on the bench. 
Uh, Ryan Atkins Ryan on, the on the bench. Yeah. To me, it seems a little bit like that side was picked. I will just get through this extra game because, you know, we're probably not going to pick up many points here anyway. So let's just ride it off. Save our, save our, keep our powder dry for when we got them, which is a terrible thing to do when you're in the top four of the league. But um, I can sort of understand it. I'm not convinced. Lewis Bean is in, he plays for the army. He's serving member of the army. I'm not convinced he's good enough for the Premiership. I've, he seems to get exposed a lot in open play. Where's the, uh, where's gives, the away, um, gives a bit of a penalty machine as well. Where's the rave ribbons? Is, is he? Uh, is he? Rave ribbons. Rave ribbons. He, he's injured. Yeah. Oh, shame. Um, yeah, because he's very good. Uh, yeah. So a lot of a lot of players there that we're sort of doing without at the moment. Um, and I think it's best to just move on from that game and not think too much about it. Fair enough. Um, We're a completely different side with Bigger, Bigger and Reinach. Yeah. Completely different. Absolutely. They're, they're two world-class performers. Um, last game of the weekend, you were at Ashton Gate on Sunday. Anything really to report on on either Bristol or Worcester? It looked like a bit of a... Well, Bristol looked a bit toothless and so did Worcester, to be honest. Um, real weird sort of game penalty count was massively in favour of Bristol you know uh, double figures I saw Alan yeah. Alan on the highlights Alan Solomon said it was like 9-1 in the first half to put yeah. to Bristol to Bristol in favour of Bristol on the penalty count and finished something like 14-4 yeah, and, and they they conceded a yellow card for uh, well they had two yellow cards but the second one for um, what's it's brother Lad who played for Leicester that went there. Can't help me out. Oh, I'll get there. I'll get there. Kitchener. Kitchener, yeah. Uh, Will Kitchener, the, Kitchener, the, the Kitchener, the younger, gave away a penalty for off his feet at Iraq, which could have gone either way. And that penalty was the, the difference, really. Um, but both both teams looked a bit toothless. I'm, I'm starting to like... <coughs> excuse me. I'm starting to like this uh, Bristol 10. Sheedy, uh, what's his name? Sheedy. Yeah, I wasn't convinced at first, especially when you've got the, the Irish fella there that can't get a game. But he's he's growing on me a bit, uh, and I'm definitely not sold on uh, Ramman. <laughs> not sold on Ramman. Has <laughs> anybody been sold on Ramman? He's like an angry, angry King Edward, isn't he? Yeah, Piertau was brilliant though. A uh, couple, of, like just hot take. The only real sort of. The only real sort of um, attacking, attacking precision came through him. He, first first you know, player of the season it. to go over a thousand yard, a thousand meters carrying. Really? Yeah. Doesn't yeah, he, he, he probably made about three hundred of them on on Sunday. Uh, second is second, I think, is Nathan Hughes. He linked well with with Randall uh, and Morahan for the try, didn't he? A nice bit of quick. Yeah, Randall yeah. And... and and the the young lad on from Worcester's academy, Wood. Is it Wood? I think Woods that scored the try. Oh, um, it was uh, oh crikey, no, Dave, uh, David, David, David. That's it. He looks very good indeed. Uh, very confident considering he's an eighteen-year-old kid, and. Didn't seem out of place at all, and scored a, a really nice try as well. So, Worcester, they've, they've got they've got players there that can do a job. Uh, they need 
a 10 and that, that was something I wanted to talk about a bit more in depth but we'll save it for another time yeah maybe the let, maybe the off season about squad building let's do that within the salary cap salary cap you say well squad building within the salary cap <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I, just I just have a theory that much like the NFL you cannot pay like everyone says you need a you need a scrum you need a, a strong pack you need a tight and a loose head whatever for me, there is no amount of money you can see. If I was any premiership team, I would pay whatever it took to get well, a world-class Ted. That would be my first position. It doesn't matter if you've got really great ball. If you've got a 10, that doesn't make things tick. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And both of these sides, although Sheedy and Raman are doing a job, they're not, they, they should be scoring a lot more points. And the same with, the same with Bath as well. Yeah. Bath definitely need a, a ten um, with both their guys potentially leaving in, in the summer. Um, talking I, I, about Bath, genuinely, I don't, under, I don't understand how the, the French teams are getting all these Kiwis to go there. Like they can't, they surely can't pay, be paying much more. And I don't think if if you paid a, a, a ten a million quid, I don't think it it would be enough for the value that you get back on it. Well, as a as a marquee, it wouldn't it wouldn't matter, would it? Provided you've got the back in. Um, no, I, I guess so. But then look at you know, look at look at Sopoaga who came over here and uh, he. I think part of the what reason Sopoaga, uh, exactly, yeah, uh, it, it's a very odd situation. Maybe he just doesn't like Coventry, but um, he wouldn't be like, alone in that. Yeah, <laughs> he. he <laughs> He was supposed to be fantastic, but then you you read reports and you listen to stories from New Zealand where say, well, nobody at Canterbury or really thought he was um not Canterbury at where did he come from? The Hurricanes? Oh, fuck knows. They're all the same to me sometimes in Super Rugby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that he wasn't the reason he never really got a, a decent run in the New Zealand side. Obviously behind Dan Carter, but was that he wasn't really good enough anyway. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's something to I'm sure that uh, driving more would be able to tell us a bit more about that. But um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, any other rugby related stuff you want to talk about? I watched you... it. I worked at I worked at the under twenties on Friday night. They got a bit of a pumping, didn't they? They got, got an got absolute pumping. Um, I'm not having that any of those players are under twenty. <laughs> they, all looked, they all looked in their forties to me. Huge, huge men. That lad, um, the Exeter um, number eight, Reese Tuima. Tuima, yeah. He yeah. looks an absolute monstrosity, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Big but boy. Ireland had some. Ireland had some farmer blood in there. They, there were some big lads, but England got a pumping, and I think it's maybe the cuts to I know that they've got Alan uh, Dickens there who used to be who was Saints interim head coach but um, I think a lot of those players are playing with championship clubs or have played in the championship and I think just all the funding cuts are going to come back to bite England on the arse with this because that under 20 side looked undercooked compared to what we have had Fair enough. Um, there wasn't really, um, you know, in most under twenty sides, there would there be people that have been playing sort of down. Was it was Manu playing? Was Manu Vupola no. playing though? He played for Saracens no. on, he on played Friday. Played for Saracens. 
Um, Ireland had a very, very nice looking ten. Uh, um, what did he play? What did he play like? Uh, hey, <laughs> I wasn't overly impressed with any of the England players. If I'm honest, I thought they were all just a generic Premiership fodder when they sort of come of age. There was no one. There was no like in the last five years you could have picked out Max Malins, uh, Dingwall. Yeah. You know, the, those kind of players. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the players that were going to... Oh, that that guy's going to be brilliant. There was no one on display that I thought that guy's Country brilliant. Singer. Aaron Hinckley, who's going to be very good. Those kind of players were, were lacking somewhat. Shame. Shame. But like you say, the, the funding cuts and stuff to the championship clubs is going to hurt those those players because... You know the the dual registration deals. You know, I think I guess Coventry must have some sort of link with Cardiff, uh, with, with Wasps, not Cardiff. Obviously Exeter and the Pirates. Um, you know they they do have these dual registration deals that allow these these youngsters to get good level um, sort of reserve team action that is that is better than the the A League. So it's gonna it's gonna hurt them definitely. Uh, any it's, other all relatively, it's all relatively cyclical, though, isn't it? Well, we'll see. Yeah, if, yeah if, of it's course. It's cyclical. Course it's cyclical yeah. if the the championship doesn't go, complete, to, go to the shit, go to dogs. And they, and they do have some weird selection stuff that happens with the other twenties. Maybe, maybe uh, judge them on the twenties World Cup that's coming up. Yeah, although you know the the France are reaping the benefits from that most recent sort of under twenties team, aren't they at the moment? And, and they're, uh, they're flying. So we'll see. Um, any other business, Doug, have you got anything else, anything you want to, uh, get off your chest this week? Uh, just want to know why divorces take so long. I'd really quite like my divorce to be done. Because we have, that. because we have this system in England where to have a divorce, somebody has to be at fault. Instead of just going, this is shit, let's just work out what we can do and move on. Yeah. And, and women are out to get whatever they can out of That and solicitors probably rake in an absolute shit ton of money. Exactly. Yeah. Just Job. had enough of it. Wanted to Job. be over. Job to if, the anyone, isn't it? if, if anyone out is... there wants to uh, sort that out for me, please do. All you want is WH Smith to sell divorces in A4 envelopes like they do with tenancy agreements. Six quid, yeah, like what, like you know, gift card, track track day in a Ferrari, sure assurance (laughs) tenancy form, do yourself divorce, do yourself divorce, ten pound orange top up, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sunday, buy buy the Telegraph, get a free bottle of water with it. Bob's your uncle. Yeah, Phil. Um, Better Call Saul started as well today. So what's that? If you haven't Better Call Saul. Oh, exactly. the, the next season of that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, already said it. I was, uh, I was in Andorra last week, which is great if you want knives and bongs and shit like that. But we, um, we got the ferry over, went Plymouth to Roscoff. So on the way over, isn't isn't Andorra landlocked? Yeah. So How did you get the ferry to Andover? Uh, and and over, <laughs> <laughs> got the ferry, which is also landlocked. You do well. Yes. You do well to get a ferry to Andover. <laughs> got a ferry to Roscoff and then drove down. Um, but so on the way over, 
go through customs to leave Britain. They look at your passport, scan them, off, done, sorted. Ferry comes in. We were the last car off the ferry, and it took 25 minutes from hitting the dock, ropes being thrown out, to we're on dual carriageway, caning it away from Roscoff. So really happy with that. On the way back, check in on the French side. It's a breeze. Get into Plymouth. 40 minutes before we even get off the ferry and then another hour to get through customs because you've got one bloke checking everybody's passports who doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't give a shit about the fact that everybody's in a hurry because that's the only job he's got to do all day. Um, Got to the point where the car in front of us was there. It had obviously been pissing it down for the last seven weeks. So there's a massive lake outside his booth. Leans out to hand the passport back to the car in front and drops them all in a puddle and then has to get out and have a little fluster. Picks up these dripping passports and just throws them in through the window. And I'm like, really? That's that's what we've got protecting our country from terrorists coming in is one bloke who can't work a computer. So, yeah. So any terrorists out there, go through. Exactly. (laughs) Sort yourselves out. Like, I bet, I bet that crossing was a beauty as well on the on the way back. For a, I know it was lovely. Cross. It was good. Was it? Over, Jesus over, overnight crossing, four berth cabin, slept all slept the entirety of it. The wind, like it's been over this weekend, I I, I don't believe that for a second. Oh, it was all good. It's all yes. good. Fair enough. Um, so for me, um, my my daughter made her debut this weekend for St. Colin Major under 11s football team. Um, bless her. She's been going training for a few weeks. Um, she's not the most natural gifted of footballers, um, but she tried hard and, you know, she really enjoyed it and she got player of the match. So, you know, oh, well the, team, the team uh, came second as far as the result <laughs> goes. Um who were they uh, playing? Uh, St. Blasey. I had to watch uh, the first half of the England Island game on Sky Go. Other internet-based uh, subscription channel services are available. Um, so I watched the first half. I watched Sky Go at the England, first half of the England game on my phone on Sky Go, whilst obviously watching the football as well. Um, but they lost. I think it was six nil in the end. But she enjoyed it. And she was very proud of herself, and did, I was very proud of her. A, so. uh, did, did, did she give a um, Joe Launchbury esque interview at the end after she received her Player of the Match at a six 0 defeat? <laughs> no, I didn't get to didn't get to listen to that because it all happened with the coach on the other side of the pitch. But uh, oh, I didn't see Joe Launchbury's interview. Was that in the World Cup when the, when we lost to Australia, and he got Man of the Match? Or was it the Wales game and he got Man of the Match and had to give an interview? Having just gone out of the World Cup <laughs> with the man of the match trophy, it's like <laughs> they stopped doing that now, haven't they? They they were there was something on. I remember them talking about it on BT. They only give the 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 player of the match trophy to somebody on the winning team to avoid yeah. that very yeah. situation. Even if there has been a player that because uh, somebody I remember seeing somebody a bit like Joe Launchbury, but they got the trophy and they just threw it on the floor. So once soon as the interview's finished, the camera's panning away and you just see it in the background and he just, just throws it, just throws it away. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, well done, Erin. Well done. Uh, and hopefully she'll stick with it. Um, 
you know she's she's generally quite good at sport um or she no so she tries really hard she likes to be sporty and uh she's very good at cricket so maybe i'll uh i'll go push her down that sort of route but we'll see she'll do what she wants to do even if my daughter was good at cricket i wouldn't go and watch it lady cricket is rubbish (laughs) (laughs) uh and the world the women's world t20s on at the moment i'm sure you're enjoying it doug (laughs) right that's it we're the best we're the best part of an hour and a half in uh thanks for your company as always premiership this weekend there's no six nations doug are you working this weekend uh yep lovely (laughs) (laughs) care to elaborate anywhere anywhere that we might might enjoy i'm going to dublin for darts wednesday to thursday wednesday to friday and i'm doing harlequins on the 29th and london irish on the first very good. Here's a quick question: Are you are you doing the darts in Exeter the week after, or are you not bothering? I am. Because I, I, I shall be going. Get you in. Well, I'm already there, mate. So. Uh, oh, mate. Excellent. All the best. So uh, you I'll. Have told me I'd have got I'd have got you in for now. Well, I didn't know that. I got offered a twenty five quid okay. for ticket ticket and accommodation for the for the night. So can't argue with oh, that. Excellent. So uh, no, I'll see. Where, are you, see where are you staying? Where are you staying? Uh, I don't know yet. Some trouble. I'm doing. Maybe. I'm doing Gloucester the day after. Well, I'm. I'm out. I'll be out anyway. So we'll sort it well, out. If you tell me where you are, I might book the same place. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. Go for breakfast in the morning. Oh, please. Um, <laughs> let's talk about it off it. <laughs> yeah. Or, let's or let's or do that. <laughs> let's right. do that. Um, to everybody else, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, go well. We'll see you next week. Podcast Network.